You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, Episode 167, Frederick Douglass. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, if there was a man with more of a packed life that did more things and influenced more of society than Frederick Douglass, I would like to hear about him because this guy, wow, just tons of stuff in his life. So much so that we're going to do two episodes about him. Yeah, I hope that everyone feels as convicted (laughs) as I have just reading about his life because he did do so many things and he really lived an exemplary life. If you're not familiar with Frederick Douglass, he was born into slavery in the uh, Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. And he was born on a plantation between Hillsborough and Cordova. And, well, they're not 100% sure where he was born, like the exact spot. And they're not 100% certain even uh, what his full name was or his family's names. And we'll get into that in a little bit. And they're not entirely certain what day he was born on either. But we're going to go with February 14th because that's the date he chose. Yeah, it's a really cool story about how he chose that date. And uh, most of us probably recognize Frederick Douglass as one of the leading African-American leaders of really all time. His heritage is of many different uh, nationalities. He comes from... Uh, Native American, as well as African and some European on his mother's side, and European descent on his father's side. We'll get into that in a moment. Yeah, so he said he he and his mother were separated when he was just an infant. And, you know, it was, it was a pretty common practice to take kids away, uh, especially slave children, <laughs> from their mothers at a very early age. And he didn't really have much recollection with of her. Uh, you know, maybe he had a little bit of memory, he said, but there wasn't much. And so after he was separated from his mother, he lived with his maternal grandmother. Her name was Betty Bailey. And then uh, he lived with her up through the age when he was 17 and was separated from her as well. And he was moved to the Y House Plantation. Yeah, at Y House Plantation, Aaron Anthony was the overseer and Douglas's mother passed away when he was around 10 years of age. And after Anthony died, Douglas was given to Lucretia Ald, and she was the wife of Thomas Ald, and the Alds sent him to serve Thomas's brother, Hugh Ald, in the Baltimore area. So this is a remarkable thing 
Jason and everybody else listening, uh, you have this young slave. He's about 12 years old. I know we've kind of skipped around here a little bit. And Hugh Ald, he has a wife named Sophia. And Sophia must have taken some special interest in Frederick because she starts teaching him the alphabet when he was about 12 years old. And Frederick says, you know, she's a kind and tender-hearted woman. She treated me as she was supposed to treat a human. He just was treated well. For him to be treated the alphabet or any kind of semblance of learning or reading at all uh, is just an amazing thing, especially at a young age and especially by essentially his master's wife. Yeah. And that continued for a period of time where she was teaching him, but Hugh was not, well, he was very much not for educating African-Americans or slaves in general. And he thought that giving African-Americans the ability to read would encourage them to pursue freedom. And unfortunately, Sophia really gave in to her husband's desires. And, and so one day, Sophia sees Douglas reading a newspaper, and she snatches that away from Douglas. But he doesn't give in. Um, Douglas learns from his peers, <laughs> his white peers in the neighborhood, and he still is taking an interest in reading, and he teaches himself how to read and write. And he knew that, quote, knowledge is the pathway from slavery to freedom. So he's reading newspapers and other materials like political pamphlets and other and other books and this leads him to condemn the institution of slavery and later on uh, Douglas credits the Columbian Orator uh, which was an anthology that he had discovered around this time around the age of 12 years old with really clarifying and defining his views on human rights and freedom yeah, so Douglas gets hired out to William Freeland, and he's like, hey, uh, other slaves here on the plantation, you should learn to read. And I'm going to teach you to read by reading you the New Testament and showing you how to read the New Testament at weekly Sunday school that we have. So uh, most of the plantation owners, or many of the plantation owners, didn't restrict them from having some sort of church or religious ceremony. Uh, as a matter of fact, they I think some of them understood that it was part uh, of how to keep them subdued in, in instances, and they would read the New Testament. He would teach them. And so word starts to spread, and you know all the slaves are like, yeah, I want to learn to read. And uh, it was pretty quick. More than 40 slaves start attending these lessons. And this goes for like six months, and nobody really notices. And um, Freeland's like, well, um, I don't really care that you're going to church and Certainly don't care that you want to read the Bible, but I don't want you reading, period, because education will lead to you wanting to be free. And so uh, he and his men burst into the gathering on one Sunday morning, and let's just say they make short work of the people who were there, and, and they disperse, and they don't really come back together very quickly. Yeah, so after this incident, Thomas Ald takes Douglas back from his brother, and Douglas later writes that this was a means of punishing Hugh, and 
Thomas sends uh, Frederick Douglass to work for Edward Covey, who was a farmer, and he had a reputation of being a, quote, slave breaker. And, and just in case you don't know what a slave breaker is, basically this is somebody who whips slaves and tries to beat them into submission. Douglas is 16 years old when he rebels against these beatings, and he fights back and pretty much beats Covey up. <laughs> and uh, Covey never tries to come back at him again. So Douglas tries to escape at one point, and he's unsuccessful. And then in 1836, he tries to escape from Covey, but fails again. And so in 1837, Frederick Douglass meets and falls in love with Anna Murray, who is actually a free black woman in Baltimore. And she's about five years older than he is. And he thinks, you know what? This woman that I love is free. That means it's not out of the question for me to be free as well. So on September 3rd, 1838, so he hops a train and heads north. And actually, the area where he hopped aboard later became known as part of the Underground Railroad during the Civil War. Yeah. So Douglas reaches Hartford County, Maryland, which is in the northeast corner of that state. And that's along the Susquehanna River. And if any of you are familiar with the Susquehanna River, it's pretty wide. <laughs> this river uh, flows into the Chesapeake Bay. And he ends up being about 20 miles away from Pennsylvania. And you can imagine if you were fleeing slavery, Pennsylvania is a good state to be in because of, uh, well, the Quakers were very influential, if not in charge. And they were, for the most part, very anti-slavery. So it's easier to get to Pennsylvania through Delaware Delaware is still a slave state at the time, but Murray provides Frederick with a sailor's uniform, and she gives him some money, and he carries papers that identify himself as a free black seaman. So Douglas crosses the Susquehanna by railroad, and he continues on to Wilmington, Delaware, which is a port city, and he travels from and he travels by steamboat along the Delaware River and ends up in Philadelphia, which is definitely an anti-slavery stronghold. So he makes his way up to New York City and get this Ben, it took him less than 24 hours for this journey, which Philadelphia to New York, that's I mean, it we wouldn't think it's that far today, but at that time when you're fleeing slavery, that's pretty fast. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure there was nothing he wanted to do more than be further away. Uh, so motivation and a little bit of luck go a long way. So once Douglas gets to New York, he sends for Murray to Hey, get up here. Come up here to New York. <laughs> and uh, she brings everything they would need to set up a house and a home. And they get married on September 15th, 1838. And they're married by a black Presbyterian minister. And this is only about 11 days after Douglas gets into New York. And they were like, you know what? 
let's, we should probably like figure out a last name for ourselves so that we don't draw any attention. Let's be Johnson. That works. So they settle down in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and they start to stay with Nathan and Mary Johnson. And they were like, actually, we don't want to be the Johnsons anymore. Let's be the Douglases. That <laughs> seems to work. Yeah, Douglas, the Douglas name is actually from a poem written by Sir Walter Scott, uh, which the poem is called The Lady of the Lake. So that's where Douglas comes from, the principal character. So Douglas later is like, you know what? We need to go to church. That'd be good for us. Let's go to this Methodist church. He gets there and, you know, he's in New York and he's like, well, of course, there's no no problems here with being black. It's New York. Why not? So they go to the Methodist church and he finds out it's segregated. And of course, this is incredibly disappointing. So they end up joining the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, which is an independent black denomination. And it is um, it was established in New York City. And so some of the other people who had gone to that denomination uh, were people like Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman and, uh, you know, just other individuals in the in the community that were influential. And Frederick Douglass thinks, hey, I think I should be a preacher. And he gets his license to be a preacher in 1839 and becomes a pretty good orator after that. Yeah. So he's serving there in the AME denomination. And in 1840, he delivers a speech in Elmira, New York, uh, which Elmira is definitely a big and influential stop on the Underground Railroad. And this speech gets him noticed by many leading abolitionists. So he subscribes to William Lloyd Garrison's uh, journal called The Liberator. And Douglas was inspired by Garrison. And he said that really Garrison impressed him with the thought that slavery is something to be hated. And as, as many of us know, Garrison was so anti-slavery, you would consider him probably one of the more radical um, members of the abolitionist movement. Douglas later says that uh, Garrison's papers about his hatred of slavery took a place in his heart second only to the Bible. So Garrison was impressed with Douglas, and Garrison invites Douglas to speak at several anti-slavery uh, events, several conventions. And here he is, only 23 years old. Douglas overcomes any anxiety or nervousness about giving a speech in front of a crowd, and he speaks about his life as a slave. So in 1843, he joins up with some other speakers in the American Anti-Slavery Society's 100 Conventions Project, and they end up going around for about six months on a tour and going to different meeting halls and you know, fire halls and all those kinds of things <laughs> that, uh, you know, just kind of like community gathering places. And during this time, there's a lot of people who are coming to the meetings who are slavery supporters, and they're just accosting him. And he was actually at a lecture in Pendleton, Indiana, and there's this angry mob that chased him and beat him. And he was on the run until a Quaker family who was local to there rescues him. And he gets his hand broken, and it heals improperly and really bugs him for the rest of his life. 
And uh, if you actually go to the Pendleton Historic District, there's a stone marker there that commemorates the event. Um, but you can imagine that would be quite the uh, the d disappointment as you're going around on this tour, speaking out against slavery and speaking uh, ab about the gospel as you see it, and you're being attacked constantly. Yeah. So keep in mind that this is all a couple of decades before the Civil War. So it just blows my mind <laughs> that he was gaining in notoriety all throughout the North. Mm -hmm. And by the time 1845 rolls around, he has written an autobiography called The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. And this book becomes a bestseller. And within three years of its publishing, it was reprinted nine times. Over 11,000 copies were circulating in the United States. And it also, well, it became a, a hit in Europe. And it was translated into French and Dutch. So it was right around this time in 1845 that Douglas is becoming more well-known. His name is out there. And his friends are concerned because Hugh Auld might try to get his quote unquote property back. And they encourage Douglas, hey, maybe you should go to Ireland. I think that might be a good idea for you. So in August of 1845, Douglas hops on the ship, the Cambria, and he's headed to the British Isles. And he goes to Ireland in the midst of the potato famine. And you just need to look up some of the remarks that Douglas makes about arriving in Ireland. Because for the very first time, people are not looking at him as a slave or a former slave or even a black man. He is considered a human being. And he, he remarks about how he's able to go through the same uh, entrance to a hotel that uh, white people are allowed to go through. He's, he's able to rent a cab and do things that African-Americans in North America were just not seen as being able to do, even in the North. So he spends about two years in Ireland and Britain, and he's going around giving lectures and churches and chapels and uh, other types of facilities. And he actually drew a really giant crowd. Uh, he would draw them to the extent that they were, quote, crowded to suffocation, end quote. So that's kind of – that's you don't want – to be crowded to suffocation, by the way. That's a bad thing. So, uh, But it was good that he was getting such notoriety. There was this one time where he was giving a speech, which later became known as the London Reception Speech. And he said, here in England, he was treated not as a color, but as a man. And that's just like what Jason was saying with just being treated totally differently. So in 1846, he meets up with Thomas Clarkson, and Thomas Clarkson is actually one of the last living British abolitionists, because at one point, uh, Parliament had had to abolish slavery because all of the colonies of Great Britain had at one point allowed slavery. And so it's actually during this trip that Douglas is on over to Europe that he becomes legally free. And there are some British supporters that actually raise funds and by his freedom from Thomas Auld. So keep in mind, even though he has, 
you know, practically been free for however many years now, he still isn't legally free until someone pays um, another man for him. And that's a sobering thought when you really sit down and think about the um, effect that can have on how you live your whole life, how you feel like you probably have to constantly be on the run, how you feel like I am someone's property. Uh, but you can imagine also the sense of relief that he felt after that point, uh, even though he pretty much, you know, he's like, hey, I'm free, whether you like it or not. And But now I'm really free. Yeah. And you can imagine that it would be very tempting for Douglas to remain in Europe because there he is treated as a human being. But he realizes that there is a lot of work to do in the United States. So Douglas is back in the United States, and he starts his own abolitionist paper called the North Star. He publishes that in Rochester, New York, where he settles. And the North Star's motto was, quote, right is of no sex, truth is of no color, God is the father of us all, and we are all brethren. Now, the AME Church and the newspaper opposed the American Colonization Society. And the American Colonization Society, really, one of the leading causes of the American Colonization Society was to send African Americans back to Africa, where they could establish their own country. And and in the midst of all of this going on, Douglas is opposing that idea. He also splits with Garrison, who uh, we spoke about earlier. Garrison was very much of the opinion that the U.S. Constitution was pro-slavery. Douglas would have said, no, we need to use the Constitution to fight against slavery. So in September of 1848, uh, Douglas publishes an open letter. And uh, we don't actually know if the Thomas Ald saw it, but he writes a letter to Thomas Ald, his former master, and just basically berates him for his conduct. And you can imagine there's a lot of that uh, pent-up um, frustration and memories and anger and things like that. And he actually asks Ald in that letter how he would like it if, hey, what if I come and take away your daughter as a slave and treat her the way you treated me and my family? And uh, I think that, you know, would be very difficult to read as Ald, but just imagine how the general public would have reacted to that, especially if they were reading a paper that it was published in, which was already an anti-slavery paper. So uh, it kind of puts a new perspective on it when you think about, oh, what if this happened to you? Um, a, a little bit of a different perspective, at least. So in 1848, Douglas actually becomes the only African-American to go to the Seneca Falls Convention. And if you know what the Seneca Falls Convention is, which we've talked about that in the past, it is the first women's rights convention. And it's held in upstate New York. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton's like, hey, everybody, let's pass a resolution and ask for women's suffrage. And there are a lot of other influential people there as well. The Seneca Falls Convention is a huge deal, which we probably should talk about in more depth at some point. And there are influential Quakers, James and Lucretia Mott. And Douglas stands there and he speaks rather eloquently by this point. And he's like, yeah, I'm in favor of this. I cannot accept the right to vote as a black man if women can't also accept that right. So... Why don't we all just agree that it's going to be a better place if we all have the right to vote? Yeah. So remember, 
the motto of the North Star newspaper was, right is of no sex, truth is of no color, God is the father of us all, and we are all brethren. This really ties together the concept of African-American suffrage, women's suffrage. They're related. Humans are human beings. And here it is. It's the late 1840s, the early 1850s. It's before the Civil War. And you have this group of people who recognize the dignity of all human beings. So this goes very much against the prevailing powers that were in the culture at that time. So after the convention, Douglas really refines uh, his message and he gives this rousing speech in 1852, around the July the 4th. And the speech is called, What to the Slave is the 4th of July? And we will not read the speech, but you need to read it. <laughs> because in the speech, Douglas eloquently states, why would the African-American celebrate the 4th of July? We are not treated as though we have been created equal and that are endowed by our creator with unalienable rights and so on. And this applies not only for the African-American, it applies to women. So we're going to see that play out in the next episode of Election College. Um, We're also going to be talking about how Douglas's Christianity had affected his worldview and get into what happens after the Civil War. Yeah, in the meantime, we would really appreciate it if you went over to our Patreon page. That's electioncollege.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you can support us there. You can give as little as 11 cents per episode and help support us. Or you can give a little more and be part of our Facebook group or get a couple extra episodes every week or every month. I'm sorry. So, uh, sorry, I didn't want to excite you too much, but you get a couple extra episodes every month. So, uh, if you're interested in doing that, we would really appreciate it if you just went over and checked that out. It's electioncollege.com slash Patreon, once again, and that link is in the show notes. And as always, we appreciate interacting with each and every one of you, well, just about every one of you, over on social <laughs> media. We are at Election College on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And this week, it only takes 83.6 seconds to head over to iTunes and to leave us a rating and review. You can get there easily by visiting electioncollege.com slash review. And we promise you we do a happy dance every time a good review comes in. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we will talk to you in a couple days. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.